I don't really like change. And I know that's politically incorrect to say in the personal development movement, because, you know, you always hear change is great. Embrace change. Change is wonderful. Well, Bob, I hate change. I like to really get good at something and build something and then stay with it. (laughs) But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether I like change or not. It's happening. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Jose Marti, and it is, happiness exists on earth, and it's won through prudent exercise of reason, knowledge of the harmony of the universe, and constant practice of generosity. Our guest today, Bob Berg, lives the value of generosity each and every day. He's the international best-selling author of several books, including Endless Referrals and The Go-Giver, and has sold nearly 2 million copies of his books. Bob is also a sought-after keynote speaker, addressing audiences of up to 16,000 and sharing the stage with top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and even a former U.S. president. So, Bob, welcome. I'm excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. Thank you, Bob. Great to be with you. I was going to start with a different question, but now I'm curious. So, who was the U.S. president? And and (laughs) 16,000 is a big audience. That seems like a specific type of venue. So, which two were those? Gerald Ford was the president, and this was actually in the 90s. I was doing some of the uh, Peter Lowe Get Motivated seminars where he had you know everybody from uh, uh, you know prime ministers and presidents and this and that. And of course, Zig Ziglar was was the really the the lead speaker on all of those. And so I I did some of those, and on one of them, uh, President Ford was also one of the speakers. So. Uh, that was fun. And let's see, the 16,500, I think that was actually in the uh, Heinz Memorial Auditorium. Do they still call it that? Because I know you're in, in the Boston area. Is it still Heinz? Oh, uh, uh, the Heinz Convention Center. Yeah. Heinz Convention Center. Yeah, it was a uh, it was for a sales convention. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've done some of those with those numbers of audiences and those were a lot of fun. I love the energy of those. But, you know, I, I like speaking for 60 people too. You know, it's it's a different energy and a different kind of audience. Obviously, it's a lot more personal when it's a smaller crowd and that's fun too. Yeah, I was thinking it was a hockey arena or something at that size. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it, it, it could have been, yeah. We have a much bigger convention center here now, but that one's still up and going. So you, you've accomplished a lot as a business thinker and I'm curious, how did you get your own start in the in the business world and who were some of your mentors? Well, I began as a broadcaster, actually. I was a sportscaster on radio and then a a television news anchor. When I was a news anchor, it was for a very, very small ABC affiliate in the Midwest. And really, I was not very good at it. I was 24 years old. I had no real knowledge of the news. And at that time, I really didn't care. I I think I was probably too positive for the medium too, Bob. I think my (laughs) idea of a good newscast opening would have been something like, good evening, everyone. I'm Bob Berg in the news tonight. Everything's great. Go to bed. Well, let's be clear. You'd be really out of a job today on the news. Yeah, I really, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, get this positive guy off the air and, and we, we need some more, you know, danger and disaster stories. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I soon found I had what I like to say graduated into sales. The big challenge with me was that I 
I had no sales experience, no formal sales experience. And the company where I started, the training was, we'll say, negligible. <laughs> we'll, we'll be kind there and say it was negligible. So I really, I floundered for the first few months. Fortunately, at one point, and this is almost 40 years ago now, I was in a, a bookstore in the uh, business section, and I'm not even sure what, what exactly I hoped to find there, but there was a sales section, and this just blew me away. A sales section? There are actually books on how to sell? I really had no idea. And so I came across books by people like Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins, and I got the books and I studied them and I just went through them and practiced and I, I learned. And really within a short period of time, Bob, my sales began to really go through the roof. And it was nothing more than having a, a system, if you will, a methodology for being able to do something. To this day, I would personally define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles, the key being predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then, well, you know, you just need to keep doing A and you'll eventually get the desired results of B. So once that happened, I really got into sales and, and learning. And then, of course, personal development. And I began reading the books, the what I would call the classics, the how to win friends and influence people, the think and grow rich, psycho-cybernetics, magic of thinking, but you know, all those books that, that really you got to build yourself on the inside. And that was actually more more important than the how-to aspect. The how-to aspect certainly important and came with it, but uh, you got to kind of see a different side of yourself. And so to me, it was, uh, that was very rewarding. I, I enjoyed that immeasurably. And from there began teaching others what worked for me. But you know what really kind of changed things for me was I was a couple of years into my sales career and I was doing okay, but not anywhere near what I could have been doing. So I was doing well, you know, well for what would be thought of as doing well. But I was, you know, I was really focused on myself, I think. And, uh, and while I had a great product that, you know, that I was working for the company and a great company and I cared about my clients, it was really about the sale to me. It just, it's where I was at the time. And I remember coming back to the uh, the office after a non-selling appointment. <laughs> and uh, I must have looked pretty disgusted with myself because one of the older guys there, he said, uh, Berg, can I give you some advice? And I said, yeah, please do. I need it. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in, in business, actually, he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. The target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward and that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money, whatever you choose, but never forget the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that's when things really began to change for me. Do you have an example of how that practically changed your approach at the time? Oh, sure. Because it's understanding that good, just like good leadership is never about the leader. And of course, I see that in all your writing. As you know, I've been a big fan of your, your weekly easing and your, your books. And that's exactly what you do. You make leadership about the other person, about those you lead, about those whose lives you touch. Great leadership is never about the leader. Great influence is never about the influencer. And Bob, great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. It's not about the product or service either, as important as those are. 
It's about the other person and how their lives will be changed or improved or problem solved or what have you through your product or service. Once we know that, now we put our attention where it's supposed to be. Yeah, and that's why the best salespeople I know ask the best questions, right? Sure. Is, that, is, that a, is that a tactic for how you figure out what's important to that person? Well, you think about it, this is a premise, what is selling? And so many people think that selling is about trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need. And that, of course, is not selling. That's called being a con artist, okay? Uh, <laughs> selling, by its very nature, is simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. The old English root of the word sell was salan, which meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally giving. Now, someone might say, well, isn't that just semantics when you're selling, you're giving? And I'd say, no, I don't think so. And here's why. Let's say you have a prospective customer in front of you, and this is whether it's a business to consumer or business to business sale, it's always between people, right? And so let's say you have someone in front of you and you are doing your presentation, if you will. You are selling. So what exactly are you giving that person? I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and of course, most of all, value. Interesting. I agree. And I, I, unfortunately, I think for the people taking a short approach and have quotas, they probably move away from that. The people taking a longer approach, I think, probably have a different lens. Well, so people will say that. And, I, and that's a question that comes up. OK, I, I understand this go-giver stuff. Your focus is on creating value for others. <laughs> I got a quota. Yeah, right. But I got a quota. I got to you know feed my family. I've got to make money now. So think about it. What's the logical next part of that, Bob? So I'm going to focus on myself and just taking their money. Well, is that really going to work? Think about it. You have a prospect in front of you. You really need the money. So you're going to go in there and your goal is to transfer their money into your bank account. So, you know, people can tell. So when you go in there, you're, you're nice and you're, but you're, you're making it about your product or service. You're asking questions, but really you're listening only to be able to kind of sharp angle them into a close. When they ask questions or have objections, you answer a little bit defensively. Why? Well, because this person's objections is standing in the way of your money, of your making the sale. And, you know, so you, you do that. And I, and I would say, is this person more likely or less likely to buy from you right now? And, you know, most people right. would say less likely. So now take this same situation. The person still needs the money. Okay. But what they're going to do this time is they're going to do something very smart. They're going to not try and deny their self-interest because we're human beings. And we do have self-interest. That's how we're built. In certain ways, that's good, right? It helps us procreate and get to the next generation of people and survive and do all those things. Wonderful. Okay. But we're going to place our self-interest to the side where it should be. And we're going to place our focus on simply bringing immense value to this other person. So what do we do? Now we ask questions because it, we know it's about discovering their wants, needs, and desires. And when we listen, we're not listening to 
just to close them, to use it against them, right? We're listening in order to understand their issues. And as we do this, we get to know more about how they're thinking and what they really need and what they're looking to accomplish through this. And when they have a question or an objection, we welcome it because we realize that the sale is about pleasing this person. And that, you know, only when we get to the root of what the actual issue is, which we do together with them, are we able to have this person feeling comfortable with the situation and with us. And only when we understand totally what it is they're looking to accomplish through this, do we match the benefits of our product or service with their needs, wants, and desires. And now I would ask the question, is that person more likely or less likely to buy from you now? I'm going to go with more. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's clear to me now how you were a good uh, on the air, on the radio personality. It's also clear to me your passion around selling and sales and how you learned that. So now, now I'm curious how this turned to writing. <laughs> Where did you make that shift? Yeah, well, the first book, which was Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales, that was a how-to book that came out in the early 90s. And that was really utilitarian. I mean, I had been speaking for a few years. I had reached a modicum of success, really looking to take it to the next level. And I was at a National Speakers Association meeting. And several of the people who were more experienced than I was, and, and I was speaking with them, and they said, you know, Berg, you really should write a book on this topic. Uh, and I really didn't want to write a book on the topic because I really didn't consider myself a writer. It wasn't something I wanted to do. But they said, really, what it's going to do is it's going to make you more marketable. It's going to position you better. You'll get higher fees. You'll have a lot more gravitas. You can use it as a marketing tool. You know, all these great reasons, which were true. And that's why I did that first one. It was totally as a, you know, really as a marketing tool, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, and it was, you know, it was very successful. We've sold over 300,000 copies of it. It's been in a few different iterations now. But after that, the books that I wrote or co-authored in the case of The Go-Giver, because John David Mann, who's the lead writer and storyteller in our co-authorships, because he's such an awesome writer. I'm, I'm much more of a how-to person, as you can probably tell. <laughs> but, uh, but in any of the books I've, I've written or, or co-authored since then, it's always been because I really just had something I wanted to express. And I felt a book was the best way to uh, do it. Well, let's dive a little bit into The Go-Giver, which was, I think, your best-selling book. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's unique about it is told it as a fictional parable. Why did you take that approach? Well, you know, Bob, there's an old saying, and, and like many old sayings, it's good, and yet it's not totally complete. And in <laughs> the saying, it will sound familiar, and that is, facts tell, stories sell. I don't think that's totally true. I, facts yeah. tell. I think what stories do is they connect. They right. connect on a heart-to-heart -heart level. When you make that connection with a person, whether it's a, a in real life, you know, in a human-to-human, belly-to-belly, as they say, or or page-to-reader, a connection happens. And once you have that connection, now you can present your idea in a way that it's much more likely to be accepted. Stories do connect, and I always enjoyed reading business parables. I think the first one I ever read when I first got into sales was Ogmandino's Greatest Salesman in the World, and then Klassen's Richest Man in Babylon, and 
Then there were the, in the early 80s, I think it was the uh, One Minute series with Doctors Blanchard and Johnson. And there have been so many great parables through the years. And so I thought, what if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals, which is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. If we could take that and put it into a a parable. And I just thought, you know, this is something that could really work. So we first, you know, asked, so what are we going to name this book? And I thought, well, what is the what is the major characteristic of someone who's able to develop these know, like, and trust relationships both quickly and sustainably? Both are important. And what it is, is that they're always giving. They're focused on giving. And when I say giving in this context, I simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. So, once that was there, the smartest, most intelligent thing I did in this whole thing was to plead with John David Mann to be my co-author and lead writer. <laughs> because at the time, he was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for. And I was one of a small group of people at the time who knew how brilliant a storyteller he was. Uh, now, he's sort of the go-to person for anyone who, you know, celebrities who want to write books, but, and, but, you know, they don't have confidence in their writing or uh, what have you. But back then, few people really knew who he was. Fortunately, I was one of the few who did. So that's really how the uh, the book uh, got the reason for it and how it got started. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate.
Yeah. Have you read um, another one? Patrick Lencioni has written a few, The Five Temptations of a CEO. Yeah. The Lencioni is wonderful. He's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? What I heard in you saying there was that the first book was about you, and people told you to write it because it was good for you. And then the book that did a lot better was the book that was about the reader and about other people. So in some ways, I think you maybe you maybe proved that out a little bit. Yeah, well, the motivation certainly was you know again utilitarian, but the book itself had to be written with bringing value to the reader in mind because, you know, like anything in a free market based economy. And when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to buy from anyone else. You know, I I often say when I speak at a sales conference, I'll say, you know, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Yeah. Right. (laughs) They're not going to buy from you because you need the money and they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person. They're going to buy from you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And that's the only reason they should buy from you or from me or for anyone else. So in writing endless referrals, I had to write it certainly with the consumer in mind, because if it didn't bring value to them, obviously it wasn't going to sell. Plus, I mean, I think it's congruent with my values to want to bring value to those I work with, whether it's through a book or speaking or what have you. Yeah, and I think we all sense when someone's at the end of a month or at the quarter and wants to make quota and pushing it on you, and it just doesn't feel good. In sales, that's called commission breath. Yeah, (laughs) that's good. I haven't heard that one before. (laughs) So you've also done an amazing job of extending the reach of the Go-Giver book into a community around it. I'd love to hear an example that you're really proud of where the book made a difference for either a person or an organization based on just a shift in philosophy. Yeah. Well, you know, we hear about these quite often and and believe me, we never get tired of it. And people say, you must get tired of hearing. No, we don't. But I'll tell you, I love when you hear about a company. uh, That's great. But I think my all time favorite story was from a guy who wrote, and this was after the financial meltdown. And he was a roofer based in the Pittsburgh area. And he said, you know, had a good business going. And once the the meltdown happened, he and the rest of the the roofers, his competitors, their business really, really took a dive. And he, you know, was he was struggling. And he said, like everyone else, he was trying to think, how do I, you know, how do I cut back? How do I give less value and still make the mind the whole thing? He said he got the book, the original book, and he realized his focus was totally backwards. What he needed to do was find ways to bring and communicate more value additional value. Now, remember when we say that doesn't mean you have to spend more money. It's as you create that experience. And what happened is his business really, really took off. And while he was kind enough to credit it to the book, it was really him because anybody can read anything in a book, but he's the one who who took that and acted on it and uh, made it happen. Yeah. And it's interesting. We, we live in a time, it seems like these approaches are are polarized in that many people still think of business and particularly politics these days as cutthroat where kind of the most ruthless people get ahead. Why is it that people have a hard time seeing that generosity is actually a better way to succeed? Well, I think that um, it's what they are exposed to from the time they're they're born, really. <laughs> and that's, you know, we yeah. all operate out of a belief system. Uh, what is a belief? A belief is a subjective truth. It's the truth as we understand the, the truth to be. How do these belief systems form? Well, from everything from uh, 
upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, and popular culture, cultural mores. And, and we, we take these um, premises in and we operate from those, uh, uh, what I call an unconscious operating system. Let's talk about this in the business context at the moment. What do you see on TV or, or read in the, uh, I'll say newspaper, because at, at this time there still are some newspapers going, but wherever you tend to read it, when someone has a lot of money, right? I mean, what's the, the meme that's put out there? that they did something wrong. They were ruthless to get, you know, back when I was growing up was uh, J.R. Ewing was the, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how you got wealthy by being ruthless and horrible and terrible. And hey, there are, it's a big world. There are people like that. But let me tell you, generally speaking, especially in a free market type uh, environment where people are not forced. Uh, in other words, it's not as though a person has been able to buy special favors from government through uh, cronyism, you know, through donations that create special laws. Most of us and most people don't operate in that kind of environment. Most of us, the only way most people can get very, very wealthy is by finding a way to provide immense value to the lives of lots and lots of people. But that's not the kind of story that sells, okay? So if you notice in movies, and my friend Randy Gage, who's who's one of the foremost experts on on prosperity and abundance and mindset, you know, he talks about, and I, I think this is it's just so uh, true that if you notice a, a big blockbuster movie, there are typically two types of people who are represented in that movie. There are the good people, right, who are usually portrayed as being poor, the underdog. They're struggling. But they're honest and they're kind and they're good people. And then there's the other type who are the ruthless, horrible, stepping on, stepping over, stepping through the, you know, the, the poor people. Uh, these are the rich people. These are the mean and nasty and horrible people who have no soul. And you can, you know, you can look at that even in a, uh, an old movie such as uh, Frank Capper's. And I, and I love this movie. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. And you've got the two types of people, right? You've got, you know, you've got the poor but happy people of um, Bedford Falls and they're struggling and they're and, you know, you've got Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey, the hero. He's going to travel the world. Right. And, and, and build skyscrapers. However, he stopped in his tracks because he has to take care of the helpless people of Bedford Falls from the evil, greedy capitalist Mr. Potter right? Who's just horrible and mean and just would do anything for the almighty dollar. And well, that's, you know, now you think of somebody who, who, uh, sees that movie from the time they're a little kid. And again, I love that movie. It's a wonderful movie, but it's got a lot of those kinds of, of, of memes and premises running throughout it. So you grow up now. I don't want to be like Mr. Potter. If I'm wealthy, does that mean I'm going to be a, a bad person? Does money really make a person evil? Well, I don't want to be that. And so it's all those. I mean, that's a small part, but here's a, here's a headline that doesn't sell. Corporate CEO treats people well, right? Yeah. You know, they workshop that one. Yeah. The first name, when you said this, before they went into my line was Ebenezer Scrooge, right? That was, that, that was the quintessential. Yeah, exactly. But it's unconscious and that's what makes it so dangerous. Randy Gage is uh, again, to bring up Randy, he, he talks about in the first Spider-Man movie when, um, Uncle Ben says to young Peter Parker, he says, Peter, we may not be rich, but at least we're honest. 
oh, what a horrible, horrible thing for a little kid to hear and not even understand that unconsciously they're associating honesty with poverty and dishonesty with being wealthy. So again, I think that in answer to the question, I think that's why so many see that. You don't hear about the tens of millions of people, you know, that millionaire next door who just creates value day in and day out. And the the people who, who do this and are rewarded for it as they should be. But you do hear about the Madoffs and the Enrons and the Tycos and the, you know, the bank who has their people selling uh, false accounts and, you know, all those things, though, because those things do happen. Yeah. And I'm curious your take on this. I'm, I'm guessing I'll know what it is, but I, I, I think <laughs> that one of the things I, I've seen and, and I've been talking about, I think, you know, we're, we, we sort of use the playbook that was passed down for us from generation to generation. And there is a divergence today, but yeah, I think the media is, is covering the old way and not the new way, but that is that like command and control leadership, I think is sort of dead. You know, the military's not really even using it anymore and, and, and is going in a different direction, but there's still some leaders out there and business leaders that like, that's the only way that they know. And that's what they were taught. And that's the uh, first yeah. guy in their career when he was 22 or she was 22 and was a total, you know, bleep hole to them. And so that's, that's mm -hmm. how you gain power. And, and I think there's some CEOs doing some great stuff who have totally decentralized their organization stuff, but that they're, again, they're not getting the attention, but I, I just don't think it's going to work anymore. And I, I think if people don't get new playbooks, they're not going to be able to get anyone to come and work for their company. You know, Bob, I'm I'm truly amazed that with as much information as there is out there, and, you know, we often hear about 75% of the workers in today's corporate environment feel disengaged, and I, I believe it, and, and, and we see so much about that. It's amazing to me that more leaders just don't get it, especially when there are people out there. You take someone like a Bob Chapman, who's the, the chairman and CEO of Barry Waymiller, a manufacturing firm that has tens of thousands of employees. And, you know, he made a shift close to 30 years ago and he, where he really genuinely created a wonderful, benevolent family atmosphere and everything they've done has been congruent with that. He has a book called, uh, uh, called Everybody Matters, which is one of the most yeah. brilliant leadership books I have ever read in my entire life. And, um, you know, there's a guy who and you talk about a commodity based product where you think if if humanity doesn't matter anywhere, it's something like that. No, not at all. Yeah. It matters everywhere. And it's what it's about. And he's got a wonderful and very, very profitable company. So there's certainly enough information out there. He was highlighted in, in uh, Simon Sinek's great book, Leaders Eat Last. And I had actually read Bob's book before Simon's. But and yeah, and then you've got, you know, people like Captain David Marquet, who to who wrote uh, Turn the Ship Around, who was who took over as the commander of the worst performing nuclear submarine in the Navy. And yeah, decentralized. It created a culture where people cared and where people understood they were valued and just turned it around. It became the number one performing. So yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I know that's what you do with your company, which is why you're the kind of leader you are. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, we're trying to, you know, our, our version of it is this concept of, of capacity building and that part of what you can do is invest in other people and invest in their performance holistically. And we've, we've just seen great results for that because we, you know, we get the business benefit and they get the benefit outside of work personally and in the relationships and otherwise. Absolutely. So for someone listening today, what are a few ways that they can start applying the principles of the go-giver to their daily life or business, you know, starting this week? Well, you know, the short answer is you just take the laws, the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity, and you just start applying them. You just, you don't have to do it perfectly, but you begin applying them. Now you look at it a little deeper and you say, okay, so what the law of value, uh, what do we mean by value? And there it's important to understand the difference between price and value because price, which is a dollar figure, a dollar amount, it's finite. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder, whether we're talking about the product, service, concept, idea, philosophy, what have you. Now, here's the key, though, when looking to bring value to another human being, it's understanding that value is always in the eyes of the beholder. It's not what we think is of value, right? Or, or what we think they should think is of value. It's what the other person believes, which again, we only get by, by what? By asking questions and listening. So as we, we take that first law and we say, okay, how can I bring value to another human being? How can I practice this law? The first part is understanding what they believe is of value and delivering that. That is wise wisdom and, and an easy thing for, I think, all of us to do in our conversations. Probably also, you know, listen more and talk less, right? <laughs> That's always a winning combination. Two ears and one mouth. Use them, <laughs> use them proportionally. So the so Go-Giver has led to several books, a podcast, community, and much more. What's the next step that you want to take in sharing your ideas with even more people? Do you have any next uh, books in the works? No, not not next books, but we're continuing to build our Go-Giver Certified Speaker Program. We have a lot of people who are have been very successful in their careers who at one point picked up the Go-Giver and uh, enjoyed it and found it made a difference. And they've wanted to become speakers, either you know part-time or they've just wanted to make a, a career shift. So we're, we're continuing to build that. And really, we just, you know, we have a great community of people. We have a Facebook community and just... Um, we're just so appreciative, so grateful of the people who've really gotten behind the message of the book and continue to to share it. So we'll you know, we'll continue to do that. And uh, hey, you know, it's been I think almost eleven years since the first book came out. Now we've got four in the series, and I still do interviews and speak on the topics all the time because to me it's a message that we believe in and want to uh, continue to spread. In today's environment, not that the message is easier or harder, but what what is the difference in sharing this message? And I mean, today, we just seem to leave a world where everyone is on on one side or, or, or the other. Has, has 
I know the message hasn't changed, but are the reasons why people want to hear it different or are you having to find it kind of changes in the delivery to account for, you know, everyone really kind of being in these entrenched camps in today's world? Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it in a sense, it depends on the book because the original book, The Go-Giver, was really for entrepreneurs and leaders who I think what struck a chord is that it said to them, Yes, you can operate congruently with your values. And you know, Bob, most people in business, whether they're in the sales end, the leadership end, the whatever part they're in, they want to make a difference. We as human beings, we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to bring value to other human beings. So I think the book said kind of, yes, you can do that, (laughs) you know? And so, so our early adopters were not the people who needed the message. It was the people who were already successfully living their lives like this, and they just started passing it along. Now, with the go-giver influencer, where we take the concept of influence and really kind of drive it deeper, again, in parable form, although it's about business, it's really about being influential in all other areas of life. And one of them, you know, we see, as you alluded to, politics. And my feeling is what's really changed politically, because the two different sides have always been kind of nasty in a way. I mean, that's never, that's been around for a long time. But there's a subtle change in that and not for the better. I'm surprised you think it's subtle, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, a, a subtle difference that makes a big difference, right? So it used to be, I'm right, you're wrong. Now it's, I'm right, you're evil. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's a big difference because if you just believe someone is wrong or naive, well, you'll take the time to engage with them. And it could even be a respectful kind of engagement. If you believe someone on the other hand is not only wrong, but evil, they have bad intent, you're not going to engage them because why would you engage with someone who's inherently evil? You can't change them. And what that does is two things. One, it it shuts the other person out and makes them even resent you more. But it also kind of makes you, not you personally, but makes one also believe that they're so right that there's nothing more for them to learn and that they have all the answers. And that can be just as dangerous. Yeah, I agree. I, I was listening, you know, I have, you and I, we have a lot of similar thoughts, which is why, why we're chatting here. But I was listening to a not to be named news station the other night talking about people or prospective candidates from the other side. And, and again, ma- making up names for them, changing their, you know, changing their names, like that they were these just terrible people. Not that they disagreed with their ideas, but that they were, you know, worthless as human beings. And I, I was just like, I can't believe this is what we've come to. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I often like to say that tact and respect should never be confused with compromising one's values. We can always treat people with respect. We can always create right without meaning that we have to agree with them. So really it's just, I think it's a decision people need to make. How are they going to communicate with others and how are they going to set an example for others to communicate with others? Yeah. And hopefully they choose your playbook. Well, well, as the last question I always like to ask, and, and you can choose either one. So what is a personal or professional mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? Back in the, I think it was late 90s, maybe as the, the internet and as online was starting to kind of come into its own, if I've got the right era, and I, and I think I, I do, 
<laughs> uh, let's put it this way. I don't really like change. And I know that's politically incorrect to say in the personal development movement, because, you know, you always hear change is great. Embrace change. Change is wonderful. Well, Bob, I hate change. I like to really get good at something and build something and then stay with it. <laughs> but here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether I like change or not. It's happening. And at about that time, as technology was increasing and the internet and this and that, I kind of, at that point, my career was really going well. And I made the ridiculous decision that, you know, I didn't need to do all this technology stuff that my clients were my clients and they were going to be with me and this and that. And I was so wrong. I really got left behind in the uh, business end. And I had to kind of re, uh, rework, rebuild uh, my business from the ground up a couple of years later. It really set me back. And so I think the biggest lesson I learned from it was that it's not a matter of liking change or necessarily liking anything else. There's some things that if you want the desired result, then you do it. That is wise wisdom. So, Bob, how, how can people best get a hold of you and your work? Uh, the two websites, one is the easy one. The speaking one is Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. For the books and other resources, it's The Go Giver, without the hyphen, thegogiver.com. And pretty much everything is there. All right, great. Well, Bob, thanks for sharing your story with us. You are a shining example of how giving to others is a mutually beneficial act and generosity is certainly vital to any level of sustained success. Thank you, Bob. I love the work you're doing. Well, thank you. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Bob and his books on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you can just scroll down to the bottom of the episode page to leave your review today. Or if you're listening in your browser or different app, you can find easy links to review on other services such as Google Play and Stitcher by following the link on on the subscribe page under the podcast link at robertglazer.com. Thank you again for your support. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast.
or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.